Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined by Matt Durumpitz. Hey, Matt, this is uh, pre-season now. I'm making the call. I'm making the switch. I'm going early. This is pre-season. We're talking about the fortunes of upcoming teams, the regulations for the year. It's all looking forward. No more reflecting. It's all about 2021 now. Seven Sundays to racing, friends. Oh, that is definitely pre-season. And hang on, that's seven Sundays until Bahrain. Yep. Mm, That's interesting because I know there was some chat about if Portimao gets cancelled, they might fill it in with a Bahrain 2, presumably Shakir Grand Prix again, but there's no plan to like fill in the Australia spot. So that Australia spot has definitely gone now. Yeah, I think I think they are hoping that maybe later in the year they can fit it in. But uh, I think, it's, again, as we are seeing, uh, much like last year, it's going to be a bit of uh, flying by the seat of the old pants in terms of the calendar and the schedule with the goal, once again, to get at least 17 races in so they collect maximum TV money mm. and, and help. In fact, I believe we had a story about that, or we even talked about that, because the lack of money last year is going to start to bite the teams this year. And uh, we've, we've seen them going out of the way to get extra investment just so that everyone can come up to the new cost caps and be as competitive as possible with the teams that already have the established advantage. I hope we get an Australian Grand Prix. I mean, you know, I think us Brits and Yanks, we, we have a, a, a sort of a, a love-hate like brothers for the Australians, and I, I hope they get their Grand Prix. 
Yeah, if nothing else, it will slightly uh, ungrumpify Uncle Steve exactly. to have an actual Grand Prix in his country. I think all Australians, in my experience, are like Uncle Steve. Steve Amy, our video editor, was on the panel last week. I, I love how they just yell at stuff and, like, anything you say, they've definitely, you know, they've, they've died from that or it was bigger or better or drunker. He shared three stories of people who've been bitten by snakes in their house. And were invaded by spiders immediately after the show and pretended that was funny. Yeah, Australians are like that. They're like, oh, isn't it funny that things can just murder you in your sleep in your house? And it's the same as like Scottish people. They step outside and shards of ice fall from the sky and stab their face. <laughs> but they're still like, ah, right, this is great. Oh, well, nice day this is. And it's like being stabbed in the face with icicles. That's why, that's why it's great it starts in Australia because we like them but we don't want to go there. The voice you're hearing is Christian Pedersen, all the way from Denmark. Welcome to the show, Christian. How are you today? I broke the rule of interfering but before my presentation. I'm sorry about that. I acted as if we meant it. The kids at home won't notice. You are based out in near Copenhagen. Sorry, Copenhagen. Yeah, I'm in Copenhagen, part of Copenhagen called Frederiksberg. Or of course. Frederiksberg. Yeah, Danish, word. <laughs> Danish words are just made up to upset foreigners i swear yeah, i'm sorry about that uh, and we'll be talking a little bit about your uh, your countryman kevin magnuson and um, also roman yeah. grosjean and their adventures post hans uh, but we're also joined in the shed by chris stevens tiny young tiny teeny chris stevens not tiny in size just tiny in age chris yeah how's it going you're it's still good to be back on the show you're still the littlest one we still feel protective of you we want to give you driving lessons and sagely advice like the kind media uncles we are. Yeah. Uh, every week I'm coming to you with advice for something. And this week it was buying property. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, basically, if you're in England, uh, wait till you're 35, 36. Cry as you save up a ridiculous amount of money. And, uh, and then finally stop paying rent to someone on their third or fourth home. So that's good. That's a Remain Indoors topic. Join us Thursdays, 2 p.m. Now's not the time for that. Now's the time to tell you that we are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. Right, Matt, I think it's time we go straight to... What do you think? Big Dirty News? Dirty news. See, I'm there. Like, we've got to get straight to the point after faffing around for five minutes. Sorry, it's the it's the off season. I like just catching up with my friends a bit in the off season when there's no intensity of the races. Um, but annoyingly, there is a lot of news which will interfere with my desire to simply talk about house prices and visiting Copenhagen. Uh, so where do you want to start, Matt? Um, on your big list. Uh, en- do you want to go engines first? Oh, in fact, no. Can I request, before we go to engines, can we talk about the Saturday sprint races that have come up? Because I think that's the most racy topic that's come up. You're looking very fed up with me, Matt. It will get to the engines, I promise. Well, only because the vote is February 11th and it's kind of important. But you're right. The Saturday sprint is important because an important and large feature that had been discussed, reverse grids, has now been removed from the removed from consideration and we are now just talking about having saturday sprint races and whether or not we think that would be a good idea right i just want to frame this first chris uh in that i just want i want to frame this whole argument with 
There's no such thing as pure F1. I, I want to yes. get away from this argument that, oh, you must have this because it's pure. F1 is entirely made up and has changed massively even in the short time I've been watching it since 1998. So there's no, we can change whatever we want. We, I say we, the F1 world can change whatever they want. It's all about finding out what entertains us best, what gives us the best um, sporting challenge. So the reverse grids was always seen as a, a bit of a gimmick. Oh, but that's not pure racing. That's not what this is all about. There's no such thing as pure racing. So I just wanted to get that out of the way, Chris. Yeah. Um, well, as you know, I was not a fan of the reverse grids idea, um, but at least that would give a Saturday sprint race a sense of purpose. What is the purpose of a Saturday sprint race now when they've said they're not going to do reverse grids? We spend so much time arguing that Formula One teams get too much on track time and they, they're trying to cut that down yeah. to remove the variables <laughs> yeah. that, that help to create exciting races, we think. But now they're going to give them a whole race to prepare for a race. Um, I don't agree, Chris. <laughs> uh, I, I, last time I was on this podcast, you were there as well, Chris, and we actually talked about this. And I remember I said something along the lines of, uh, why even bother having practice on Fridays? And you, you, your, your response was, I like practice. And I just want to add, I love practice as well for the fact of it being practice. What I don't like is a lot of cars driving around with no real in, in sentiment for the for the broader viewer to get involved and and i think that's that, that this will fix this and actually the way they propose the reverse grid rule kind of feels like old formula 1 where bernie egglestone would say something like uh, sprinklers, sprinklers yeah. or something stupid and then uh, the result would be somewhere in the middle and i think this uh, saturday race will be the greatest um, what do you call it, um, diplomatic end to this whole uh, scheme? Wait a minute, wait a minute. Are you suggesting that if there's a very divisive topic with people at the extremes, passionate, and there's no clear consensus, that we should come to some sort of compromise instead of just going massively to one end in a knee-jerk reaction? Crazy, Christian. I think, It'll never I think catch Stefano, Stefano uh, Domenicali will uh, change a lot of things in that respect. Uh, and this actually is a quote from him, as far as I know, yeah. uh, about the, uh, dropping the reverse grids. And he's just a likable guy. And even though I really like Toto Wolf and everyone was, a lot of people was rooting for him for being the uh, Stefano mm -hmm. uh, guy now. This this is just the best thing that could happen for Formula One, I think, uh, in a long time. It's the hope that I, gets you, though, isn't it, Chris? <laughs> I, I agree. Domenicali is the best thing to happen to Formula One uh, in the last few months. Um, but I think if, if they're going to go in with this, they've got to go whole hog. It has to be, you know, for the championship because there was talk about, sure. oh, it won't be worth championship points. What is the point in having that uh, race then? Right, okay, so, Chris, let me clarify with you because I didn't get that bit. What is it exactly that is being proposed here? So, uh, yeah. Right. So, is, is this instead of FP3, a Saturday sprint race? Well, why would you Why would you risk anything? Surely you would just go at half pace and, and just survive. Exactly. It has to be worth, you know, something for the championship. But then there are so many extra things to consider. We're already going to 23 races. So, now we're going to have 46 races in a year. So give them double the engines then and double the tyres. I mean, there's so much extra stuff going on in the background to make this happen. Trumpets. Right. So one of the fun things about this is that we absolutely don't know the real details. But if you ask me, 
which you haven't, but I'm going to pretend you did anyway. If you ask me, the idea is that the result of the sprint race will set the grid for the Sunday race. Is it? So we will drop FP3, have qualifying for the sprint race instead, or use FP3 results as, as to set the grid for the sprint race. Then the sprint race will set the grid for the Sunday race. And it's a sprint race. So could we see a race with no pit stops and everyone going as hard as they can on a single set of tires? I don't know. Like, I don't know. No one knows what these rules are yet. They have all to be agreed and the place they play as well and how the sport regulates itself. But the idea I got from the article that I read was it very much that you would need to do well in the Saturday race in order to do well in the Sunday race. That to me is worse than reverse grid qualifying races. I think. I think that's gonna s- set up the grid even worse. At least there's this illusion that there's a difference between how a car handles in qualifying to how a car yeah. handles in the race. So if you then have a race set the grid for the main Grand Prix, then I think you're just gonna exacerbate the issue that we already have of the quick cars being at the front of the grid. Christian. Um it's a tricky one because uh, you don't want to interfere, of course, as Chris says. Uh, but I'm not sure you could do a qualification race without everyone just finding all sorts of loopholes. And if I qualify there and I go my race, then I don't want to overtake in that corner and blah, blah, blah. I'm not sure that will work because also grid position. What is grid position? We see people winning from the pit lane. And so it's not that important, is it? And I think you've got to fundamentally come back to the point of stop giving the teams, you know, all the variables to variables to sort out before the Grand Prix. We, we've seen it time and time again. When the teams don't know what's going to happen, we get a much more exciting race. Don't give them a prep race yeah. <laughs> to, to weed out all the issues for the Grand Prix. I, I think well, I think Chris has hit the nail on the head. If if that Saturday sprint race is to decide the grid positions on a Sunday. No way that makes racing better because the most exciting races are when we, you know, when we've had those things where people are suddenly out of order, which is why people started talking about reverse grids in in the first place, Matt. But yeah, Chris is absolutely right. The Saturday race just means if there is any discrepancy on Saturday qualifying, then on on whatever qualifies you for that race, that's going to get sorted out. That Saturday race is just going to make sure the front guys end up at the top unless someone gets just punted. Well, yes, let's look at the start of any race and see what happens. See where everybody is at lap 20 of any race. And you tell me, is it always, do we always see people where we expect them to be? No, people have a bad start. They lose six places. Now they've got 19 laps to fix it. They don't have 75 laps to fix it. Number one. Well, they number do because they still we're have. Not going to, we're not going to be running on full fuel. And number three, if there's no pit stops, it's only one set of tires. So you you can go hard you know, medium tires, 20 laps. Okay. I'm not really having to save a whole lot of that tire while I go. So I think you're going to see, you will see a different performance envelope because in a race, I'm running 80% of my qualifying speed to save the tires. In a sprint race where I'm using a tire that can go 35 laps and I'm only going 20 laps. Okay. Now I'm at 90%. I'm at 92% and my margin of error is gone down significantly. I think you could see some really interesting results. But let, let me answer one of those 20 points, Matt, which is you said that, oh, now they haven't got 70 laps to sort it out. They've only got 19 or whatever. 
well, they will have another 70 laps on Sunday, Chris. You know, yes, they might have a bit of a disaster. You're giving them more time to sort out any disasters. I think if you want to um, shake it up and, you know, go away from what I believe is a very good race format that we have at the moment. Uh, but I think maybe if you want to shake it up, let's go and look at our friends in GT racing. Uh, if anybody watched the inaugural FIA motorsport uh, games, which was like this nation versus nation um, thing, the GT race, they had two races that would determine uh, the grid for the main race. So you, you, the average of the results uh, and you had two qualifying qualifying sessions for those two qualification races, if you call them. I don't think at any point the fastest uh, combination of drivers, car and team actually won the race. It was very clear who was very quick. And I don't think they ended up winning any of those three races. But Christian, fundamentally, though, I mean, you still want a format that lets the people who do the best do do the best. We just don't want it to be ultra predictable. I mean, a Formula One car can be the most well-known setups for a Formula One car is a race distance, like the long distance, and then you have the one lap setup. And there's fundamentally something interesting and appealing about having a qualifying setup of some sort that is only based on the quickest lap setup, but maybe in a race scenario. So I totally get what Chris is saying, but uh, I like the idea as well. I like it. I think there's some positives to it. Uh, so uh, welcome to the live chat room, by the way. Uh, hi, uh, loads of comments streaming in. At the moment, we've got, at the same time, 272 people for a live stream show. That often <laughs> goes up to around 900 and nearly 1,000 uh, for a race review. So thank you for joining us in the in the live stream. It, it does add a, a buzz and an energy to our stream. So welcome. Um, Matt, Toon Van uh, Bentham has asked a good question. Can anyone fill me in on the current proposal? I didn't follow this part of the F1 news. Well, I think that's the point, isn't it? Is that the proposal is incomplete, that he's just kind of put that out there and left all of us to sit here going, rubble, rubble, rubble. Yeah, well, and, and it's a point that I feel like I should make as this discussion goes on, as if the Saturday race is already going to set the grid for Sunday. We really don't know what's going to happen. So we're just arguing about possibilities here, potentials here, that exist no one has come out and said this is what the saturday sprint race will be it will be this many laps and these are the rules for it this is how it will play in the championship we don't know yet so this is all this is all the bit of the preseason we love the most where we can speculate endlessly <laughs> with no real facts whatsoever okay christian just speculate I'm, endlessly. I'm just gonna give, sorry sorry I, uh, no no carry on I'm just going to give you the quote. What he said uh, was, we are looking at for sure is what could be an approach of the so-called sprint race on Saturday. We are thinking of this could be tested already this year. So that is the line from Dominicali. All right. Okay, good. Well, interesting to see how that one uh, develops. And uh, let's, let's move on. Let's have a bit more. Big Dirty News. Right. Well, I mean, I can't I can't think of any subjects to talk about. So let's move on to more frivolous things that I will find, Matt. Fine. Uh, without it being a tech time, uh, tell us your engine stuff. What's going on in the engine world? Uh, the only thing I've really caught is Dominicali in actually encouraging people to support the Red Bull drive for an engine freeze or unfreeze. I must admit, I get lost uh, in the politics of that. 
Right. And not surprisingly, because the politics of it are very complicated. Um, but in essence, what's what is potentially happening on February 11th is a vote on this freeze. And if the subject gets brought up, then the vote happens. And if it's approved, then it will become part of the regulations. Why does that matter? Because with that freeze, however it's agreed upon, with that freeze, Red Bull remains committed to the sport uh, through 2025. Now, interestingly, we've also seen the fact that Audi, which is often mentioned coming into Formula One and never really does, but Audi <laughs> is once again being mentioned as being a potential Red Bull partner from 2025 onwards, which the other thing they're going to be discussing is whether or not to move the engine regulations up a year and bring them in in 2025 instead of 2026. So Audi being mentioned for me is not surprising. I think anytime new engine regulations are mentioned, you're going to get all sorts of different manufacturers uh, kind of poking their nose in the door and seeing, oh, what are you guys up to? You know, we might be uh, interested and especially a brand like Audi that owns so many other brands. And where did Stefano Domenicali work before? And why does he mention this Red Bull thing? Yeah. And why is it funny that, that he is, in fact, behind the Red Bull approach, which is sort of Red Bullish in its nature? Because at first they wanted one thing, and then when things changed and Hunter pulled out, then they wanted a completely different thing. And now he backs that proposal, and it's just also very F1. Of, of course, people like Renault and Ferrari don't want this to happen because they are trailing in engine development compared to the likes of Mercedes, Ferrari, especially after the whole, you know, gate about uh, uh, the 2019 engine. Alleged gate. Recover. Alleged yes. gate. They just, they could have just slowed down for other reasons. They could have yeah. just deliberately put too much drag on the car. Could They could have done, Chris. It's all, it's all up in the air. We'll never know how never they mysteriously know. lost pace. It will come out in someone's autobiography in about 20 years' time, maybe. Um, but, you know, they're not going to recover all of that performance uh, in the space of one year. You know, they're not suddenly going to be back to where they were in 2019 uh, when they go to Bahrain in a couple of months. So it's definitely, you know, in their interest to allow engine development to continue. Of course, Red Bull don't want to do that because they're uh, supposedly you know, buying Honda's IP. Well, they would be buying Honda's IP and running it with little or no development. I can imagine them setting up facilities and getting consultants from Honda in. But what Honda is being very clear about is they don't want the IP going any further. So it's going to be a clean break in 2025. Now, where this gets interesting is the proposal that has been floated that we have seen in the media is that all engines will be uh, will be homologated within 2% of each other uh, on a on, in terms of horsepower. So in 1,000 okay, right. horsepower, you're talking mm -hmm. about 20 horsepower difference between mm -hmm. the engines. That's the goal. How you get there is what's causing the consternation. All right. Yeah, go on. So I was going to say approach one is the simple, easy, and somewhat dirty fix of simply letting someone who is down on horsepower use more fuel and have a higher fuel flow. It's a simple, easy way to bring to bring everybody into parity, but it really does start to smell a lot like uh, BOP. Balance and of performance for those who don't know. The other way to do it is simply to let anyone who's behind develop until they catch up. 
which is going to be much more expensive for the manufacturer that finds themselves behind. And one of the main reasons to have this engine freeze is to save the manufacturers a lot of cash over the next couple of years. Surely there's another option, which is to just tie Mercedes back a little bit. Well, then, 50 horsepower off their engine and suddenly... So balance of performance, where we just deliberately hobble the guys that are doing well. Well, not so much, but as a solution to the problem that we have, I kind of feel like I feel like it's going to be easier to tie them back than it is to get the others to where Mercedes are. Okay, so let's put me in charge. I think that's a very wise idea, Matt. I'm going to go with your, I think, your second one, which is... Uh, look, this is all... This is all um, only up to like what 2025 when new regulations come in Correct. anyway so so now just set wherever mercedes are because it's unfair to bake in an advantage and to say right okay it, a freeze until 2025 and your uh, ferrari and your renault that, that's just that's just ridiculous like why are they in the sport when you can't improve there's there's a freeze oh, why not have a freeze on aero then and they go okay whatever aero you've got now that's you till 2025 that doesn't make any sense. And it doesn't make any sense with the engine either. I, don't, I wouldn't mind setting a cap on where Mercedes are and go, right, that's the cap. That's your horsepower. We bench you. You can all develop up to that level and beyond. And if you get to that level before 2025, well done. You you did it. You still improved. Uh, but if you don't get there, that's still on you. So I'm, I, I think I like, I like let everyone catch up. Right. Well, it's just it's how you catch up. But the reason I find this proposal intriguing is that we are expecting the new regulations for 2025 now to be a significantly different power unit to the one we currently have. In other words, it's not just going to be a minor iteration of what we've got. It's going to be a fairly major sea change, and it's meant to be much less expensive and much simpler and much more plug-and-play than the current generations of power units that we have. And in addition, we have another problem with fuel, We're still not quite sure what kind of fuel is going to be used. And guess what's going to take an awful lot of money to develop? That brand new engine. So if I'm Mercedes, I can suddenly see a lot of sense in not having to spend any money on my current engine for me and my customers over the next three years. And instead being able to spend that money developing the brand new engine that's going to be coming in 2025, where once again, I will hope to seize an advantage that no one can match. Christopher Montgomery Stevens. That's not my middle name. Well, for anyone we don't know. Who is wondering. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, it, it seems like um, top flight motorsport, and I'll include the World Endurance Championship LMP1 in this, kind of allowed hybrid technology to get too complicated to the point where if you weren't a giant, huge OEM, you couldn't compete. So we're talking about the one percenters. And, and so it was quick. It, that, it was really quick, wasn't it, Chris? It's like we had Kurs for a bit, a little bit of engine power, and then like full, gigantic, expensive hybrid. Boom. And, and so now I feel like because the WEC is doing the same thing, they're pulling it back and uh, trying to make it simpler for people to just come in and, and plug and play. As you say, you know, let's let's have a, a nice beefy engine and let's whack on a certain amount of electrical power on top of it as well and just go. Right. So I realize we are probably beating a dead power unit horse to within an inch of its life. But before we leave the topic, <laughs> yeah. and because we will be moving on to a different style of engine with different fuel, I just want to bring up the fact that in 1980... It took 250 liters of fuel to complete a race distance with a three-liter engine 
and that today with a 1.6 liter engine, it takes 110 liters, I'm using liters and kilograms interchangeably because they more or less are, to complete that same distance. And instead of 500 horsepower in the 1980 engine, we now get 1,000 horsepower. So there's a reason we had these complicated engines. And there's a reason now we're leaving them. In your face before time. Ha, Stephen, see? Everything that's old is rubbish. It's not even 110. It's usually about 95, 100 max. They never fill that thing to the brim. Uh, Christian. I just want to totally spoil that uh, conversation with uh, the information of the quantum scape batteries that uh, Volkswagen just invented uh, in collaboration with Bill Gates. They are solid state batteries and they will charge 80% faster and deliver 80% longer distance. And this is within a time frame of three, four years uh, on the market. So with that rate of development in batteries, but what is going on within the kind of engines we're talking about in Formula One and all, it's, it's also, uh, it, it's graying out that things are not only in an evolution, it's a revolution from an engine perspective these days. So okay. that makes it hard. So for the, for the longest time, everyone has just been waiting for battery sec- cell technology to catch up, to be more efficient to be smaller and lighter. The problem with that has been that it's a very kind of gradual linear growth and there has been no real big leaps up. Sometimes it can feel like that because the application of that battery cell technology suddenly takes a jump up. Like with Formula E, they started off not utilising all the battery that was available and then they became more and more in line with the battery tech, what they could do and the efficiency of using it. But you will hit a ceiling at some point where you just hit the limits of battery technology. And we've been used to that curve, uh, sorry, that line of being in existence for decades. The sort of thing Christian is talking about now is we are starting to get a feeling that there might be a jump and that electric cars um, might actually come into a more kind of ubiquitous uh, arena where they're everywhere much quicker with some of the advances that we've had. And it's not because cell technology has has suddenly taken a, a jump up. It's because we found different ways of applying uh, power. So, I mean, for example, like with Formula E and their power boost, um, people are starting to now talk about using, you know, capacitive technology where you can store an awful lot of energy very quickly, but you also have to release it very quickly. So that can give you like little kicks down a straight. It's not going to get you the 700 miles to the to the Shetland Islands and back you know you don't want it for your family trip to Cornwall uh, but round a racetrack that kind of capacity uh, capacitive technology can give you a jump Christian I don't actually know about this uh, latest manufacturer one you were talking about but is that just a, a common cell or is that some kind of new tech energy delivery it's a new type of battery. It's called a solid state. Uh, it's it's a, what's it say? Dry conductive material. Um, oh. And apparently, it's something Volkswagen has been invested in for quite a long time. Uh, and also Stefano Stefano Domenicali. And I know every time I'm saying something, there's a Stefano <laughs> approach somewhere. Yeah. But the, he he was working for them before, so maybe there's also some. I know about the Formula E stuff and electricity and uh, exclusivity and stuff. But uh, what they choose now, why does that have to be the right path? for the next 40 years. That's what I'm trying to say. I think we are in a time frame right now where we have to be a little bit careful how for how long we we lock ourselves in. Uh, and I when I say we, I mean Formula One. So Chris, not so, we, just, no, no, we, no, we, we act as if we run and own Formula One. Uh, but Chris, this hybrid technology, which I think 
isn't this compromise that is nobody's first choice. It could very much just be a stepping stone and it will be – remember the hybrid time because I, I think it will be all electric before we know about it really. Yeah, I, I also feel like hydrogen is going to become – very much the forefront, you know, the way we're all talking about electrification now. And uh, I think hydrogen will be uh, the future. And <laughs> what? Think... No, what? Really? No. Yeah, the no. It's better, Max. Hydrogen's oh, better, Max. It's a busted flush. <laughs> I mean, uh, Red Bull Advanced Technologies are already, you know, developing a hydrogen-powered car alongside Orica nah. for, for Le Mans. Uh, for the well, I'm not. Hours. I'm not saying that you c- won't ever have a hydrogen cell car, but if you think that you know our roads are going to be filled with people uh, doddling around to Tesco's in their hydrogen cell car, I, don't, I just that, that's not the landscape right now. Hydrogen isn't going to win out. Ele- electric's got the jump on them, you know, and hydrogen just uh, has the problem of storage that no one solved. It doesn't uh, mean uh, you can't do it. It just means it's it's probably not going to pan out. Hydrogen will overtake. Uh, electric. That's a ridiculous statement. Soon. Trumpets. Okay. Soon? So Hang on, you just made it... It was already ridiculous, then you added the soon. So, uh, let's be clear when we talk about hydrogen. Uh, back in 2013, Andy Cowell, who ran Mercedes HPP up until last year, talked about having a car like a six-tenth of a liter inline three-cylinder car that basically ran a very large battery. And that with that combination and lightweight materials, he could give you 150, 200 horsepower and a car that drives like uh, 350, 400 horsepower sports coupe does now. All we're talking about doing with hydrogen is replacing that six tenth of a liter petrol engine with nice. hydrogen. So I want to be yeah. act- mm-hmm. I just want to be clear it's- before anyone mischaracterizes me because I'm just looking at the chat here. I'm not saying you can't get performance out of a hydrogen in engine, a hydrogen hydrogen engine. You absolutely can. But it's about the logistics and scaling that up and making that the thing we go to. Because once we pick a mode, we're going to go all out. Like Betamax, it worked. It's fine. But once VHS became the thing, uh, you know, you know, uh, go on then, Chris, you know, tell us about your Betamax and your and your HD CDs or whatever, whatever, whatever else didn't make it your mini disc. Yeah, the facilities are not there now. We're not talking about now. We're talking about 10 years in the future. 10 years ago, the idea that 50% of road cars would be electric was laughable because there wasn't the infrastructure and the facilities, which there are now. You, you've got to look at this with, with the perspective of the future. We will make it happen. Matt? So what, what I need to be really clear about here is the engine that you are talking about is essentially an electric engine that uses hydrogen as a as is is a battery recharger as much as an actual motive power. So we're not there will be no internal combustion of hydrogen in this engine. We are simply extracting energy from the hydrogen, recombining with oxygen, and using it to power essentially an electric mm-hmm. drivetrain. Yes. And that's what needs to be understood about how hydrogen's being viewed now versus how it was viewed in the past and why it might exist as a bridging technology mm-hmm. until a full electric infrastructure can be built out if one ever gets there. Because there are ways to produce hydrogen that are very environmentally friendly. Um, Christian, wrap us up on this and we'll, we'll talk some driver <laughs> stuff. 
there was no electric cars until some crazy Elon Musk type of guy uh, did something that the entire industry was like, look at this, look at this fool. And then he just did it and everyone loved it. And now everyone wants to uh, do electric. It's the same with hydrogen. We we need someone to to build it, someone who needs to make it work. And if someone really needs to make it work, like for instance, F1, uh, we could make, possibly find a solution that could save the world. Look, I have the oh. highest. I have the highest respect for my panel. Um, I love a good uh, debate. I'm surprised, genuinely surprised, that all three of my panel think that we're going to have a future with um, hydrogen cars being like you know the petrol cars of today. Um, and I want to be respectful in that debate. So I'm just going to say that you're all smoking crack and then press the bumper. Sorry, Chris. This, that's my method of getting the final word. Do you want a final, but, final word? No, I, I don't want the final. I want you to have the final word. Why it won't work? You uh, said it's a ridiculous idea. Why is it a ridiculous idea? I didn't idea? say it's ridiculous. No, no, no. I haven't said it's a ridiculous idea to power cars with hydrogen. Just the idea that it's going to become the ubiquitous thing over electric. It just isn't going to happen unless you can f- find a magic way of storing hydrogen and convincing everyone to do it. But I don't, I don't think they're going to do that. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Uh, Christian, uh, you wanted to talk to us a little bit about driver mentalities. You think they are embedded from a young age. I just uh, it's just a, a thought I have sometimes because we we and this is natural we all we all give a lot about who we follow in Formula One we all feel them when they when they fail and we all always feel with them when they win and stuff like that so but we also judge them in um, in a perspective or. Uh, maybe we judge them from a human perspective way too often while these types of people are strange people. And what what I was thinking was when I was in school, there was always this like one guy and it was always a guy, unfortunately, but it was always a guy who just wanted to win no matter what. And if this cost him like a (laughs) friendship, he would still want to win. And you could be friends with him, but you would just have to accept that when it came to winning something, that was a greater 
achievement for him than the friendship with you. And I think we have all along the way met people like this. Uh, they can be uh, they can be highly motivating to be around, and they can be uh, they can be quite destructive as well because it's it's such a, a rush for them to to, to succeed. Uh, and I think we sometimes forget to to view the drivers of especially Formula One in this in this uh, in this light. It's um, obviously there are par- parallels, Christian, there with with other sports and other areas sure. of like entertainment and stuff like that. But I do remember at school, you know, when it's um, hey, do you want to do you want to go down the park? Because uh, I think Kirsty was giving me the old eye, you know, maybe after a half bottle of white lightning. Who knows um, when? We were doing that. There was the kid that's like, "Well, no, I've got athletics training tomorrow," and you're like, "Dude, you're fast. Don't worry about it." But they're like, "No," and then you understand like their priorities are so different because even from that early age, they're suddenly focused on that that winning mentality. And uh, so, I mean, what's the point here? Is that, is it that you think we could could we go into a school and and pick out the racing drivers or the potential ones? I, I think the point is uh, that you need to have this mentality to be a driver. And as a fan and all of us as commentators and stuff, we also have to accept that with that mentality comes some baggage. And you can't be, if, I mean, Ricciardo, he, he, there's some devil in him. He doesn't show that devil when he's interviewed, but the devil in him is what he brings on track. And if he didn't have that devil, he wouldn't be able to do what he does on track. And we we forget that, uh, and we forget to applaud that devil somehow, if you could put it like that. We judge them by normal people standards, Chris. Now you've been in people in drivers' faces on Formula E. You know you were there regularly in the pit lane all the time, uh, talking to these guys. And I mean, like I'll never forget the scene of Buemi charging down the pit lane at the end of a championship. I can't remember what that race was, but you know he was really like he needed to tell every single driver in that pit lane what he thought of what had happened in that race, and they feel like just like a different beast. Do, do you get that feeling that you know when you talk to them as compared to your friends? You know that this is like a different kind of animal. Yeah, I, I will say that clip um, kind of misrepresents Seb um, a little bit because he's he's not generally a very angry person um at all but absolutely when a driver comes back from a difficult race um they all act in very much the same way and it's just pure frustration um usually because they know it's, it's at that point it's out of their hands and they're just trying to vent the anger out of them um at that point and most definitely you will see the same character traits across uh professionals i mean i relate to sports people because i know i'm a very competitive person not in the same league obviously but you know people who work in my industry in in motorsport pr we're all competitive um people i just want to add that this is this is also like a heads up for not a heads up because i have no power but uh, (laughs) if journalists in general listened a little bit to like maybe studied how people work studied how a, a day of a driver is we could get questions that are different from so how are you going to approach this week? I mean, oh, it's just quite... also it, the whole bubble of this, how we approach drivers to PR. And I think generally the drivers are doing a really good job at being approachable on social media and all this and that. I agree, but yeah. It just, uh, it's just a ring of uh, repetitive, uh, stupid <laughs> questions and answers, basically. Uh, Chris, it must drive you mad because you've done those kind of like doorstop interviews with drivers. And it feels like in F1... The question is always, so you're in such and such a place. What can you do from there? 
well, uh, hopefully I can, you know, go forward and we will just uh, try our best. What sort of question is that? Where can you go from there? But Christian's right. You know, there is this kind of, we treat them like normal people. Maybe we should treat them like these different animals when we're interviewing them. It's all become very routine, hasn't it? What question to answer and what question, uh, what answer to give uh, that question. And uh, it is my everyday pursuit to break that cycle <laughs> and uh, try and find something interesting to talk about. All right, then, Christian, let's put you on the spot. This is your proposal. All right. You're on the start line now. You've got the weird kind of sky fanny pack with the, the radios and everything and the headphones. Uh, you're talking to the 10th. Uh, 10th placed um, Max Verstappen. I don't know why he's in 10th place. It it just seems like since Sergio Perez's lightning start to the season, he seems to be getting less upgrades. The favour seems to be shifting to the Mexican side of the garage. Uh, but he's qualified 10th, which actually is one of his better results this year, Christian. Uh, you're on the spot. W- what are you going to ask him? Uh, my first point would be like a charming comment to Natalie Pinkham. Uh, you look great today, no? uh, yada, yada. And then I'll okay. turn to Sergio and I'll go like, so what's your star sign? Okay. Why? Okay. Yes, mic drop. I and mean, then have you me- heard it before? <laughs> <laughs> You've never heard it before. I don't know. It's it's different. I mean, on the spot, if you're on the grid, you're not going to do in-depth uh, stuff. You're just going to go for like a, a quick comment. But I'm talking about the how we get to know the, the drivers. And also this is a PR thing. It's a PR machine thing because the PR people are not going to say, yeah, sure, let's uh, get Lewis Hamilton on a jet ski <laughs> in pink pants because you obviously won't do that. But uh, So it's a balance act. But uh, I'm just going to push it a little bit and say, uh, please give us some more real stuff. <laughs> So the difficulty with that is that the drivers, if, if uh, unless it's a mandatory media obligation, then they are sheltered. Mm. They don't want journalists uh, doorstepping their drivers, really, or anybody in the team for that matter. And you can, you know, allow the media in a very loose way. You say, "Hey, we're going to do our own press conference, or have we're going to do like some karting or something? Come and join us." Those are really great ways to interact with the media and try and loosen some nuts a little bit. But they are so few and far between. And because race schedules are generally jam-packed already, it's so hard to actually find a good time to do that. Because I, uh, number one as well, you've got to please your partners and your sponsors first before the media, I think. But if you if you want to know how uh, Sergio prepares for his race, so instead of asking him, how about if you ask the ten last people who just met him, mm. for instance? That is another way. I'm not. Uh, this is not for you, Chris, because I know this is. I used to do uh, pop culture, so I have interviewed Spice Girls and Mariah Carey and all those, and it's horrible. You you get into this environment of you can't just be a normal person because they're not a normal person. Everyone around you is all fake, and I totally get that. But uh, but still, you have. Uh, I, I would just like to know how Kimi Raikkonen is, and not hear the story of uh, "Leave Me Alone." Uh, I want to know what he really thinks. And I mean, he's been driving for fifteen years, and no one's even ever asked him a real question or getting in under that skin. That I mean, that should be doable it's, from a journalistic right. point well, of view. You're right, Matt. Somebody should be able to to crack the ice. 
name three things you'd rather be doing tomorrow than driving around at the back of the grid. How's that for a question? <laughs> hey, look, interviewing's a hell of a skill. And uh, to you guys who, who don't know Christian, uh, Christian is a broadcaster, radio presenter, has been a, a TV, um, you know, he's one of those like afternoon talk show guys. You know, he's like, oh, have you been ripped off by the supermarket? Call us. Give us your hot take on 08000 425 825. That's so wrong, but that, I'll take it. I'll take it. That's what you did, was, didn't it? <laughs> you did like a morning show, evening show. Would you? Well, okay, you, I'll just go through it very fast. Okay. I used to do like a youth show on national TV, which was uh, in the 90s, uh, one hour every week for two years on the, the national TV, videos, stuff like that. Then I did a radio show, which was underground house techno on Danish P3, which is Radio 1. Then I did some production, some TV hosting around. So I've been doing all sorts of things within that uh, radio TV kind of sphere. You're Philip Schofield. Got it. Okay, uh, so we can move on. I don't know that. who that is, but I'll take it. Yeah, he was uh, the host of Live and Kicking and then did like has done radio and then also did like a morning okay. show with Holly Willoughby. Chris? To go back to the original point about, you know, driver mentality. I'm glad someone sportsmen. remembers. Oh, yeah. Um, there was a guy in my year at school uh, who raced brisker uh, Formula One. Uh, if you don't know what that is, you're basically driving yep, yep, a cage yep, yep. on wheels around a dirt oval. With wings. It's, it's got massive yeah. wings on the top. Yeah. They're wicked looking. Huge, great big engines. And it's so dangerous as well. Like, disgustingly dangerous. And I I don't know, maybe I was too young and wouldn't, you know, think to look for that in him. But I never saw the fire in the belly. You know, it was like an on-off switch. He would show me a video of what he did at the weekend, but then when he came back to school on Monday, it was like somebody flipped a switch and he was an entirely different Yeah, because he's not person. thinking about the conversation with you. He's thinking about getting back to those dirt uh, ovals yeah, and get back to racing. I will say... I did... Uh, I, sorry, I did get a sticker on his car, actually, because nice. I was running a like a F1 opinion website at the time and I got my sticker with a logo on his helmet. Nice. I like it. I, w- I will say on that point, in the defense of the journalists asking questions, it, it can be very, very difficult to ask people questions when they don't particularly want to answer them. Sometimes it's because they're shy. Sometimes they don't just particularly forthcoming. And sometimes they have a motivation to not give away what they're thinking about talking about from a sporting point of view. Uh, obviously, my job, a lot of it revolves around interviewing people. Sometimes I've got half an hour with someone who is an expert in a thing. And they get on air with me and you can see that they're either terrified or bored sometimes. And you have to, as Christian says, you have to find a way under the surface. You have to like appeal to, well, most of the time you appeal to ego. Talk talk about themselves, get them to talk about themselves, find out where that passion is. And and, and Christian's right. No one's done that to Kimi Raikkonen. Uh, Matt first, then Chris. Well, I was going to actually ask Chris if he remembers, as do I, at the Formula E press calls where half the drivers would simply hide at the back where you couldn't possibly ask them and they would just talk to each other. And then if you were lucky enough to get a PR flack to drag one up to you, you also have, I think on the other side, the pressure of the editors who expect a story with answers they can recognize and not just random stuff you've gotten them to admit to that might be important down the road. So the important thing about things like that press call where they're just crammed into a a pen and there's a fence between the drivers and the media, and it's a free-for-all, and you're barging cameramen out the way. It's like the Hunger Games. It's just boosh, boosh, out the way and uh, try to get to the front of the queue. 
Um, obviously, being a, a recurring face helps a lot because the PLs start to recognize you, the drivers start to recognize you as well. So, you know, that that helps because they will come over when you ask. Yeah. Um, most definitely, if you have to ask them a difficult question, which you're going to have to do at some point, you know, so I think the famous one in Formula E was about, you know, uh, Sebastian Buemi couldn't do two races because he had he was contractually obliged to go and race for Toyota in the World Endurance Championship. So I asked this title rival, you know, how would you feel if you won the title because Seb didn't do these two races? Mm. You can't just lead in with that. You have to go, <laughs> oh, you're doing so great. You know, oh, you've been really fantastic mm. lately. And, you know, yeah. try and exchange a little jokes. And then you 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 slide that one in and they're so much more likely to give you an honest answer. So in, in the first season of Formula E, I got an interview with Bruno Senna. And honestly, I was so shy. Like, I only got there by being friendly with the PA. And when I eventually got in, I was one-on-one with Bruno Senna. Very first question I asked him was about him being like one of the unluckiest drivers on the grid. He didn't, he just didn't, he just didn't like it. He didn't want to hear it. And then it was a really awkward two minutes after that. Uh, let's go with Matt. Well, I was just going to chime in in the uh, first year I covered Formula E. Um, I believe that was the one where Andre Lauderer jumped the start. Or was it the second year? Yes, that was yeah. the, the first year because that was when Jeff uh, won the s- second title, if I remember. And right. I, I remember th- wanting to ask this question. I'm like, well, well, tell me about, you know, because you're thinking you're trying to be helpful, like giving them an out. Well, well, tell me a little bit about, you know, how complicated is the start procedure for Formula E? <laughs> and he just looked right at me and he goes, mate, it's dead simple. I'm like, really? He's like, yeah, there's just honestly nothing to it at all. I was like, oh, and you could just see him going down 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 as he was giving me that answer so how come you fluffed it then dummy it should have been your follow-up yeah no clutch in a in an electric car so it's i think it's literally just put a power setting put your right foot down i don't think they even like rev the end rev the motor or whatever um it was the first title i have to go back and correct myself okay well that's a good advantage you see because in hydrogen cell cars they um they've got 17 clutches that's what that's what i heard (laughs) it's another reason not to have hydrogen christian I just want to say that if you imagine if you step in like dog poo on the street and someone comes up to you immediately, you put some mic in your face and say, how is it to step in dog poo? So how's the dog step pooing person? And that is basically what happens when you come into the pits after a race, if you've done horribly wrong or just just done something that wasn't to your liking, you get a you, you get it in your face immediately. And I, I'm not sure that is the right way to do in the future because who gains from that? The only one who gains from that is the one who wants to see fiddle crying or someone being angry. And I'm not sure anyone gains from that, actually, if I'm completely honest. We were all after the same thing at the same time really if if you think about we've all watched the same race we all know who's had a really bad race publicly as well we don't care if somebody's had a good race completely under the radar if the cameras weren't on him we don't really care about it so if jev smashes into the wall and loses the title because of it every journalist in the paddock is going to go and flock to jev and he's not going to give the same answer 27 50 however many times and no. that is also part of the problem. I think the only people who will go otherwise are those people who are there for like the um, the, the local people who don't really know what Formula E is. And they're just saying, hey, look, there's this big electric race that's happening in our city. Isn't that wonderful? 
Okay, good. I'm going to give myself the final word on this topic, which is if you want interesting questions, I mean, uh, the, the questions we get are very professional. They are professional questions. They are the kind of questions that Sky want their, jour- their interviewers and their journalists to ask. The kind of questions the BBC want asked. And you get to, let's not forget that F1 is the pinnacle, not just for drivers, also the pinnacle for journalists and reporters and everyone in motorsport. That's where everyone wants to be. And you don't get there by being a wild maverick. The guys that are up there now have done a solid job and done their time. You know, when they've strayed too far, they've realized, oh, no, I best go back over to this side. Oh, no, gone too wild. I've gone. So they, they've ended up in this line that has got them to the top. And, and therefore, you're not going to get the kind of personalities that are in there and going, oh, all right. Uh, you know, you've got your lucky pants on today, Kimmy. Chris. You know as well, if, if you upset a driver, you're not going to get a decent yep. answer back from them next time you ask them a question. So you need to stay in their good books and that will stop you straight away asking, you know, really difficult or edgy questions. Hey guys, you're listening to Miss Apex podcast. And if you've got this far in the video or audio, you must like us quite a bit. So why not express your like by clicking like if you're watching the video. I'm pointing, but I don't actually know where the like button is. I think it's over there on the, the bottom right of your screen. Click like, subscribe, click the bell. You'll get notifications not only when we go live, but when we plan a show as well. And it helps us get into the YouTube recommended lists and all sorts. So every single like, every single comment, make it a nice one, unless it's about Matt or Chris or one of the others, then I don't care. Uh, But every single interaction pushes us up the algorithm. So please, please do uh, engage with this video. If you're listening on your uh, podcast player uh, and you fancy going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star review, again, say anything you want. As long as it's five star, that really helps us get up the iTunes charts. Last season, we got as high as 68 in the UK podcast sports charts. Uh, I want to break into the top 50 next year. There's so much prestige and it puts us in like a completely different bubble. You know, I want to get right up there with the BBCs and, you know, the the race podcast that's just come out of nowhere like an all-conquering beast and the WTF1s. Um, below that tier is us and for F1's sake. Um, I'm really proud of that chart position and we're there because of the reviews and the support you guys give us. Also, if you want to help us do what we do, uh, Bunny's good. Uh, we, we do run on money. Uh, you can do patreon.com forward slash Apex. I won't say all the tiers now, but we try and make it worth your while. Uh, but the most popular tier is a $5 per month, a US dollar. Uh, come in, join our Slack group. Make sure you're in with all our patron-only streams. Get the odd extra patron-only show that me and Matt do like after FP2 sometimes. On a Friday, we'll just jump on, do a live stream, and then put that out as audio as well as a little bit of a, a preview show too. So patreon.com forward slash Apex. Like and subscribe. Do all the things. I want to give a quick shout out to our new friends over at Extreme Racing League. So X, like the letter X, Extreme, Extreme Racing Leagues. Uh, go and check them out. Uh, their leagues are uh, fun, competitive. Uh, the the streams they do are pretty good as well. They're nice and slick. Um, but we are heavily involved in iRacing at the moment. So we swarm, uh, but we keep getting asked for leagues to run a league like with F1 2020 on Xbox. Uh, We don't do that at the moment. 
extreme racing leagues have uh, linked up with us and, uh, and and come and introduce themselves. I checked out their stuff. It looks cool. Go and give them a try. Extreme racing leagues. If you want to do iRacing, contact me, spannersready at gmail.com. I'll add you to our swarm. We race in the F3 officials every single week. And we have a missed Apex championship too. And if you look at the show notes below, you will see a link to the Mist Apex crew racing Lucas Oil trucks. So it was me, Matt, Kyle, Brad, Alex, and a few listeners all racing Rally Cross. Um, and I put together like a 10-minute video of that session. So go and check that out as well. All right, cool. Let's move on. All right, Matt, where are we going? Where are you driving this bus to in the last 10 minutes or so? Oh, you know I want to talk about tires. Okay, you know, I want to talk about but- tires too. I okay, want to. fine. We'll talk about your tires briefly, but where I really want to go, because we have K-Pet on the show, Ooh, yes. is I feel like we should do a little uh, little Haas visit before the whole show is over. Okay, quick quick bit of housekeeping. Sorry everyone's hearing this. Anyone short on time? Anyone got a time restraint? No? All right. Haas, Haas and tires then. All right, baby. Matt, go. You. Right. So we are talking about tires um, again. Not just to make me happy in my heart and fill me with joy, but because you yourself have discovered that one of the main reasons we're looking at a new set of aerodynamic regulations is because the tires themselves were judged to be at the point of not being able to cope anymore. I had no idea. With the downforce thing, I thought that was F1 going, oh man, yeah, finally we need to address this aero wake situation. And, and that's what I thought they were doing with the downforce. So Chris, I just read you know, today that on the F1 website, they cited the explanation for the reduced downforce as helping the tires. And I was like, I don't know, that just took away all that happiness that I had the F1 was finally going, oh, yeah, it doesn't need to be an upside down plane. We can just have race cars racing. Well, I think it's partially also to sort of curb some of the development. Of course, in 2021, they were the fastest Formula One cars have ever been and probably will stay that way for some time with, uh, you know, less downforce in 2021. And uh the 2022 regulations coming in uh, soon. So last year we had the fastest Formula One cars for a while. Uh, probably Silverstone was the catalyst for this decision when we saw all those very late punctures for for Bottas and Norris and, of course, most famous, famously, Lewis Hamilton. Three tires in the win. Yeah, it's been coming for a while. And, and one of the things that if you pay attention to the tires you've been tracking, you've been noticing that they are frequently running the pressures up as the weekend goes on. And that's entirely to cope with the ridiculous amount of energy that's being put through the tires because they are traveling at such high speeds through the turns. And so clawing back the downforce is going to allow two important things to happen, in addition to the fact that Pirelli themselves have introduced a new tire, which would have happened last year had the teams allowed it. Um, They're going to be able to run the tires at lower pressures, and the tire profile is going to be different. So, of course, in 2019, when they first tested this development tire, the feedback was abhorrent, uh, partially because they tested it on a freezing cold day at Circuit at the Americas. So when they got the exact same feedback in uh, Bahrain, when they tried a 2021 development tire, they said, tough, we're forcing it on you this time. Just one, have any of you guys tried racing with um, uh, slick tires and uh, fiddling around with pressures? 
in real life, no, but I've done yeah, it on yeah. a video game, so I basically no. Yeah. Cool. I've only no, done it in no, karting. I, yeah, I, yeah, I used to have a go-kart. So, yeah, so we yeah. did some racing in Roskilde. And on karts, you, you had a very low uh, pressure normally. And, of course, it all depended on sun and everything. But if you put too much tire, too much air in your tires, if they have too much pressure, your, your, the, the characteristics of, for instance, if you go through a chicane and your car jumps just a little bit, and uh, that bounce of jump yeah. will be totally different on high-pressure tires because oh. it will, will eliminate much of that wobbling feeling. Uh, I know it's much bigger in Formula 1. I have never tried that. But just in small karting wheels, you already get that sort of like suspension feeling. And if you eliminate that, you eliminate the, the basically mm. the, the, the driving ability. Ah, that's no, that that's driver. interesting because that hop that you talk about, you don't normally get that in carts unless you're really pushing them. The only time no, I've had it's yeah. tiny, tiny, tiny bits in karting, right? Yeah, and the, the only time I've had that hop was uh, Buckmore Park Turn One, um, very fast sweeping right hander. Brad says to me, right, uh, that's flat. So I had a 15 minute session, Matt. I, you were in that session as well, and I, was <laughs> I like, did the same yeah. thing. I was like, well, I'm like flat, okay. Brad says it's flat. No. It's flat. So we're sitting there trying to do it. The cart's hopping about all over the place. We get out of the thing, and he's like, right. So turn one, guys. You need to take quite a big lift before you get turned in, then get back on it early. And me and Matt are like, but our backs, our backs are broken. Uh, yeah, sorry, tire pressures, man. All right. So what's interesting about this is that running the tires at a lower pressure theoretically gives them better grip because your contact patch will be different. But where it's going to be interesting and where it might really upset and in a way that no one can yet predict the current packing order is that running them at a lower pressure also means that the sidewall flex is going to be higher. And if we think back to Red Bull and those tires that Mark Libba was quite good at. Is that your Aussie accent? And, and no, it wasn't. It was just, do you ever notice they pronounce it with an I instead of an E? They don't Weeba. say Weber, they say Wibba. Yeah, that's just yeah. how they talk. They're weird. Yeah. But that, that, that was just a mild observation, not actually racist, I suppose. Mm. Um, that Vettel couldn't cope with it. And because what was happening was the wobble of the tire was disrupting the flow through the diffuser. They were getting everyone's favorite word, tire squirt. And, and in addition to this now being a possibility yet again, with the rear of the floor trimmed and a lot of their tricks taken away and with the way they're allowed to gate the diffuser being reduced, well, that tire wobble, we don't know. Is it going to be worse for Red Bull or is it going to be worse for Mercedes? We're not going to know until we see them on track. So th there's a larger than usual amount of uncertainty, at least from our side of the fence. I'm sure the engineers have got it all worked out as to what the effect on the cars really is going to be. I think there's a misconception about what 2021 is going to be. Some people see it as, as a bridging year between uh, the, the current set of regulations and the 2022 uh, regulations. It's kind of a little mini era switch in itself um, because of those, those tire changes combined with the aero changes that they've enforced as well there's a really big amount of change. It's not going to be very visible, I don't think, but it's a lot for the teams to get their heads around in a very small amount of time. I think there could be some real flux in pace and performance across a lot of teams, especially in that really tight midfield. And it's not necessarily going to come down to technical upgrades. It's going to come around getting your head around certain aspects of these changes. 
And don't forget, for the first time too, we are limiting the resources of the top running team with regards to CFD and with regards to wind tunnel time. And this is at a point where the teams very much want to be already looking at their 2022 cars. And instead, they might, if they want to be competitive, they might have to spend some of that time sorting out whatever problems they have once they hit the track for the first time. I just found out that this new system of uh, balancing, uh, helping the the, the slow, taking a, an advantage away from the fast, actually resets during the year, uh, half time during the year, the year uh, according to where people are in the standings, which is perfect. All right. I know that's I all I have to say. No, that's okay. So, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. That was anticlimactic. Well, I drifted off a bit. I know I said I wanted to do the tire talk, but then when it got into it, I was like, oh, man, this got real quick. <laughs> uh, look, okay. Look, uh, good. Um, the tires, they're going to feature, obviously, uh, again, but it's to me, it's fascinating to see old reg tires just kind of being carried over to new regulations. I'm a little disheartened that essentially we've got, again, more durable, more rugged tyres. It's one-stop races. It's going to be one-stop races going forward. Um, and, and I'm a little bit despondent that the FIA's motivation for the downforce cut was tyre-related. So that that's the reason I wanted to talk about it. And that's reasonable. But I would make the counter-argument, as I have before, that the real issue with the one-stop races has not got anything to do with the tyres and never has. It's got to do with other safety factors we have discussed in the, the fact uh, in the past. In fact, it's really the pit stop deltas that are keeping uh, differing strategies from being equal on track because no tire, and I've looked at data going back to like 2012, so in the modern era of regulations, 2008 forward, there's no tire that can cope with going hard enough to make up a 28-second deficit for the extra pit stop at certain tracks. That's where the real problem lies. At so, best, you're going to get about 15 seconds of recovery, and then you're kind of toast. So, Chris, you didn't do the Lucas Oil trucks with us. First time I've done anything rallycross in a sim. Obviously, I've not done it in real life. Uh, but they have a joker lap where once per race, you go through kind of a shortcut, uh, and you can use that tactically. It's like a pit stop. We don't really care about changing the tires. We, we like a pit stop because of what it does to shuffle around positions and stuff like that. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't seem impossible to have joke collapse in F1. Be quite good. Mm, theoretically, yes. I foresee uh, a lot of issues <laughs> with, uh, with it happening. I mean, you, you watch when you watch Rallycross and they rejoin the, the main circuit, you, nine times out of ten, they smack into each other. Yeah, you can. And you and use it, and you picks. use that. You use that to hit Kyle. That's what that's for. Yeah. Hang on, I've got. I'm going to interrupt you slightly because I've got a feeling Christian just wants to agree with me quickly. Then we'll go back to Chris. It's just a short thing about the juggle lap because um, uh, I don't think a juggle lap will work. So everyone has to do a juggle lap. Uh-huh. But for instance, if someone does something wrong in an overtaking maneuver. A, a drive-through is way too harsh. Oh, it's, it's, it's just a small yeah. thing. So if you just want to give back a position, you could use the Joker lap. And I think for that reason, it would be very good for Formula One to have something along those lines. Yeah, MotoGP uses like the long lap where you have to like uh, go around the outside. Lap. Usually, uses a bit of runoff area, and you take a a loop around a corner, and that uh, acts as the penalty. Um, Matt brought up the point of pit stops cost too much time. 
uh, of course, what, what's the solution to that? You can try and shorten some pit lanes yeah but then a lot of pit lanes need to be that long for when they have races with 60 cars in them for example when endurance racing or gt races for example you could increase the speed limit but of course the speed limit got dropped to 80 clicks ever since mark weber's uh, wheel came off and hit a cameraman back in 2013 so tunnel shortcut tunnel shortcut it's easy tunnel shortcut basically that's it yeah you Short have to look to at the to. entry and exit <laughs> of the pits taking a greater percentage out of the lap. And in fact, really the pit delta calculated as a percentage of lap time could probably, you could probably figure out where the pit entry needs to be and where the pit exit needs to be in order to give uh, an effective delta of around 15 to 17 seconds. Because around 15 seconds, you're getting to, I can make that up on soft tires in X laps and still be competitive. Otherwise, it's just going to be the occasional circumstance uh, where it works out. Some person on a one stop is about the same as some person on a two stop and the differing strategies is what we want to see. Cause if everybody does a two stop, that's just as dull as everybody doing a one stop. We want to see some people saying my car does a two stop better. That's what I'm doing. Other people I'm doing a one stop and you're sitting there going, doing the math and you're going, Oh, there's maybe a half a second between them at the end of the race. That's what we really want to see. I, I've said before, I'll say it again, take out the mandatory pit stop and suddenly you'll get people mixing a, a, a no stop with a one stop. If we're going to have one stop races, take out the mandatory stop. Oh, yeah. I get a little bit thrown when Chris has a genuinely good point. I'd, ne- I'd not thought of that. What? Yeah, We're not benefiting from the mandatory stop anymore, are we? It's not, yeah. it's not helping us. Hard tyres are hard enough that will they will do a grand prix distance pretty much maybe you have to look after them for a little bit but it's a but risk if you'd rather yeah. do that than lose 28 seconds in a stop then Power let's team. go back to let's try and recreate the days where mantle was hunting down senna in monaco and it's become one of the most iconic pieces of formula one imagery but sergio perez will just never do pit stops ever again they'll miss <laughs> they'll, they'll miss him at red bull they'll be like oh sergio you've been gone the whole race I'm just going to mention, um, in writing my first article for Reddit, I discovered that in 67 or 68, Porsche at the Daytona 24 ran a set of oversized, I believe they were Dunlops, for the entire race. They never changed their tires. So, yeah, if you ask Pirelli to do it, I'm sure they could develop a tire that would last an entire race. But that's not what we want. We want the current tires, which in theory were designed to be wearing tires that you would need to change. We want those tires to be the ones where you can then gamble on a a zero stop because there's no gamble now. One stop seems to be nearly every race. One stop is the way forward. Whereas with Chris's like once a year, good point, must be his birthday. Um. The, the the zero stop effectively makes it the same as having one stop or two stop. So I, I like that. Come on. Right. Who's got Dominicali's phone number? Come on. Let's give him a ring. Um, last topic, Matt. Let's talk about Haas reasonably quickly, reasonably quickly. Well, uh, first up, we have some driver news. Not about the actual Haas drivers because uh, we don't care about them yet because they haven't raced anything. But yeah. our friends, Kevin Magnuson. And Romain Grosjean now have a future outside of Formula One. And I believe uh, Magnussen, who has already raced the Daytona 24 and was tantalizingly close to a victory with his team before a late, late puncture. And when I say late, I mean like last, what was it, 15 minutes of the race? Oof. Took them out. 
um, is going to go on and do some more sports car racing and I believe is going to wind up in WEC and an LMP Oh, in, in an LMP what? Um, well, it's the LMDH. Is that the new designation? Hypercar. Yeah, I think he's oh. going to wind up there eventually. Um, uh, but we just found out that Grosjean is going to be doing some IndyCar racing. Okay, well, let's start with uh, with Kevin Magnussen. Let's go to our token Dane. <laughs> but, I mean, <laughs> that would be enough for me to tune in to some, some WEC to see Kevin Magnussen there. So, you know, a, a good move. And I'm assuming that you you would be interested also. Uh, I don't talk to uh, Kevin Magnussen. Uh, he's not a friend of mine or anything. I don't know him. <laughs> you like, all on a know level. each other. I've met him a few times, but that's all. But what I do know about him, though, is his, uh, and I've said that every time I've been on here, he's a true racer. So what he did this weekend was uh, what Kevin Magnussen does best. And it's what his dad has been doing all along. It's just they have something in their bones that is just racing. And uh, how they, uh, the commentators just talked about how Kevin uh, took a turn six and how he drove the car. And he just felt at home. That was so obvious. So I think he's going to have a great career the other, uh, in, in, in the States in racing. But I will add, though, that uh, Gunter Steiner and Kevin Magnussen still have a very good relationship. Uh, and I think the same goes for uh, Groshan. And I have a, uh, I have, this is by no means any facts. But Haas is going to have a problem developing that car. So I could easily see Kevin or maybe Roman doing maybe the second test for them. If I was Haas, I would do something along those lines, to be totally fair. I think they've gone on record as well as saying, you know, if Mick or Nikita is out of a race for COVID, they will probably call either Roman or, or Kevin mm. and see who's um, available. I wanted to uh, mention as well in the daytime of 24 hours, there was a fantastic battle uh, involving Kevin. I, if I remember rightly, it was with uh, Felipe Nazza, of course, another um, ex-Formula One driver. And uh, I think that was very, very popular on the, the Twitter sphere, especially. Yeah. Uh, and also, I heard that um, for work next season, they're going to have uh, a hybrid class as well, Matt. But they've had to move the pit lane uh, to uh, the next county over, you know, because of the explosions. Uh, but anyway, sorry, can continue your unrelated point without answering that, that argument. I'm not going to answer that because the hydrogen car will run in, I don't know, is it 23? I think that's what they're aiming for. Anyway, so let's talk about Haas the team now. There have been some interesting developments due to the change in regulations and also due to the pandemic. One is that the car is actually being built in Banbury for the first time ever, uh, instead of in Italy by Dallara, because so many of the parts are allowed to be carried over from last year to this year. Normally, the from year to year, you do you design all new parts, you build all new parts, but in order to save money for the um, teams you've been allowed to bring a lot of parts over to this year. And because so many parts were the same, Haas elected to build its car in England instead of Italy. But this has caused a problem because the engine technicians that normally would install the engine and fire it up for the first time can't travel due to the COVID restrictions. So the first time Haas is actually going to have an engine in their car right now is going to be a preseason testing, which may not be a big deal. Uh, but then again, it kind of might. And we've learned a little bit more about their car, too. And I'm just sort of running through this laundry list of interesting things I've learned. Although, Chris, you, you look like you want to argue with me. I could I could be well, I could be tempted. Not not argue more kind of 
expand on a point you know i i think there's a certain checklist of things <laughs> you do with a car when you first Argue. fire it up <laughs> and the Argue. first day of testing when you've only got three days of preseason testing especially and your runtime is so limited doing it during that test is not the right time to yeah. be doing no, that initial checklist i agree with chris i think the potential it could be fine but the potential for disaster you know from an engineering point i was an engineer you know uh, from yeah. an engineering point of view matt like you you want Shake down, then time. Shake down, then time. Shake down, then time. If you've got, if you take those time sandwiches out, yeah, you'll shake down in your tests. They might not take long, but it's when stuff goes wrong and it starts to pile up, and you could find yourself in a situation where they just miss that first three days of testing. Well, do we all remember last year, the first race, Mercedes, and and was it Austria? Well, maybe the third race, whenever that was. Do you remember they had this sudden issue with the sensor and they couldn't run on the curbs at all? Oh, that was a simple issue with resonance affecting a sensor. So, yeah, when you put an engine in a car and turn it on, it creates an acoustic wave. And that can have very unexpected effects on all the other parts of the car. You're not going to see that at all for Haas until the car has the engine installed and turned on for the first time. It's well, let's just use the word suboptimal so we sound smart. How about that? It's just not a great way to start the year, is it? No. Especially when you know that's an already underdeveloped car that will continue to be severely underdeveloped throughout this season. All right. And the news does not get better from there because we are also have learned, thanks to, and I'm going to say it, and we know it's a preseason, Alto Motor Unsport. Wait, everyone drink. We know that they had been working on a new nose along the lines of Mercedes and Red Bull and most of the other midfield teams that they thought they'd be competing with, but they weren't able to finish it in time because of wind tunnel shutdowns. And as a result, they are spending no development tokens this year on their car. I have a hard time seeing where Haas is going to be totally fair. I mean, I understand the livery. I understand the branding of uh, Haas uh, tools. But, I mean, where what's the goal for Haas? I mean, are you just going to be a B team for Ferrari? Or, I mean, I have a hard time seeing where they're going, actually. Well, I'm so glad you asked that question because it does bring me to my very last point. Um, in talking about this, Gunther Steiner said that very clearly their main plan for the year was to get the 2022 car into the wind tunnel as rapidly as possible. So they are hoping that, barring any unforeseen problems, that whatever they show up with the preseason testing and put on track works about enough like they thought it might, that they can just ignore it for the rest of the year and try and get a 2022 car that might actually properly be competitive. I, I think Haas's short-term goal use Mazepin money to survive after, you know, very troubling 2020. And then 2022, you know, arrives, let's use Mazepin money to to move forward through the field. That's surely got to be the short to medium long-term goal. Mm, okay. And I, I think most people aren't thinking that, you know, this is going to be Haas's season. You know, no. No, no, no one's thinking that. I think no one's going to be surprised, Matt, if they end up m- more or less at the back. Right. And I'm go- I'm going to finish off because I-, I realized I left off a tantalizing bit of information. Do you remember back when we talked about customer teams? Oh, yes, of course. I listen to everything you say. Well, it turns out that none other than Stefano Domenicali had a discussion with Gunther Steiner about customer teams 
back in the day when um, the American F1 team was first a possibility and that that discussion led to the financial model that led to Gene Haas that led to the actual Haas team being on the grid. So in a way, Stefano Domenicali is responsible for Haas on the grid. And so I just thought oh I would share goodness. that as a way of sort of closing out our regular show. I'm loving this Stefano Domenicali loving. I can't wait until he does like one tiny thing wrong and we all hate him and everyone on the social media hates him. But for now, I've got a little bit, I've got a little bit of hope. A little bit of hope in my heart for the future of F1. Thank you so much to my panel, Christian Pedersen, and that is P-E-D-E-R-S-E-N, I think, Pedersen, uh, rocking some ear pods in there. So uh, that you can tell that Danish broadcast life is, is cha-ching. How, how do you feel about uh, Stefano Domenicale being mentioned more than Sergio Perez? Nah, it hurts, but I can get through it. It's going to be, uh, don't worry, it's a long season ahead, ahead guys. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. Oh, it depends how, how that goes, <laughs> to be fair. As a Sergio Perez fan, it's like, careful what you wish for. Because all season I was like, yeah, I've heard the rumours, it's definitely going to be Red Bull. And then when it actually happened, there was definitely a moment of, ooh, Oh, hang on a minute. This could be a cold, frosty 2021. Uh, I've just found a picture on the internet of you because I was looking for stuff of you to plug. Um, I put it in your WhatsApp. It's of you spinning DJ decks. I'm going to share it with the live stream at the end. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, and your hair is magnificent. You look younger there. What's the story there? So where, where is this, do you think? Uh, if you have to pick a place in the world where this should be. I think this picture is in Ibiza. That is true. Way and there is another picture of me standing in a pool with a deck. All right, standby live stream. Beaver. That will be popping up on the live stream in just a bit. Um, uh, Chris Stevens, they, unless you don't want me to, Christian. It's too late. I definitely am going to. Chris, you can do what you want. Chris Stevens, uh, you are at Chris on Racing on Twitter. At Chris on Racing. Yes, absolutely. And uh, start to maybe uh, share a little bit more of what goes on in my day-to-day PR uh, life on there really like a public relations like podcast or like uh, i don't think anyone wants to listen to that How, what can you, like a deep dive like when like when someone you're representing stabs a panda and you're, you're like <laughs> hero panda slayer does it again vigilante I- I, I think people like hearing about my PR life in little five-minute tidbits on uh, this show. So no, we'll right. leave it at that. Okay, fair enough. I, I look forward to your TikTok of you in a crop top oh, explaining God. basic PR techniques. That's going to be What's good. your TikTok, Chris? I, I'm not on TikTok. Uh, maybe uh, I would have uh, joined the So Me crop. If you have a TikTok, I will join the So Me club. You will be the first person I tell uh, when I join TikTok. This is going to be good. Can can you feel the vibe between me and Chris? It's just getting better and better every day. I can feel it. I just can't. I know I oh. created the image of Chris on TikTok. <laughs> yeah, but I can't, that's you. It's all your work. I can't shake it. Uh, Matt, uh, <laughs> we're going to put a link in the show notes to you uh, writing for the F1 subreddit, which is fantastic. And as you can imagine, long, a Matt Trumpet article is not... Uh, two paragraphs of copy uh but you're going to be doing more stuff with them so we'll link to that in the show notes you also want people to follow your wife who is an author uh, at a weaver rights is that all you're sh- you're shilling at the moment published author with an agent yes that would mm. be her all right that's good uh well you can follow me too uh well matt is at matt pt 55 and by the way you don't have to just email me you can email matt as well matt pt 55 
at gmail.com. You can follow me at SpannersReady. The links to all my other stuff is there. You can join me on a Thursday with Remain Indoors. We are turning that into more of a uh, hot take uh a topical news item type show. We're still going to have all the same guests, but it'll be a fun place to hang out and talk about all the stuff that's um, that's on your mind. You can listen to me with a bit of music if you're a Spotify customer on Spanners 90s Radio. Also, link in the show notes there. Me sharing a few stories from my life with some great 90s tracks in the background too. If you're a Spotify customer, you'll get the full track. If not, it's a 30-second preview, I think. Uh, we are going to do a pre-record Uh, in the week because next Sunday is Valentine's Day and none of us want to get into trouble. So uh, we'll get a pre-record to you probably Sunday night. um, So the next live stream will be in two weeks time. But wherever we see you next, work hard, be kind and have fun. This was Mistake Pets. Okay, so Matt, you know that I'm editing it to make it seem like I talked all the way up to the... Because I'd completely fluffed that. I forgot I had to press the button to get it going. See, I thought you were going to say you were, you were editing it to seem like editing it to seem like you had not forgotten comment of Oh the my week. god, it's like an illness. <laughs> like, did comment of the week hurt me? Oh my goodness. It's like, show me on this doll where comment of the week hurt you. Comment of the week. Oh man. All right, I tell you what, uh, let's let Chris Stevens be the judge. Uh, this week. So why don't you give us your candidates for comment of the week, Matt? Stuart Neal, what is the point in having so much aero that you can drive a car upside down if you do not have an Australian GP? (laughs) (laughs) All right. I love that. Okay. I love it. That's going to take some, you should have done that last. Patrick Walsh, Australia wants to kill you. It's why we put it so far away. Do you think it's just to deter British people because they're scared of us and our amazing cricket skills? That's what I think it is. (laughs) Uh, max attack triple six saturday sprint sounds delicious but expensive in parts right expensive in parts. yeah oh i see i see i see yeah 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 uh chris fonseca is in with much like betamax versus vhs we need to see which fuel pornography producers use to decide the winner okay well that can't win because you said pornography all right um oh my goodness i'm gonna give you Two more. Mark Greenhow. I'm going to start calling my own COVID weight downforce, although in truth, it's a total drag. (laughs) On a serious note, I need karting events to motivate me to lose weight because the scales, I'm like, yep, I'm heavy, still kind of good looking. When it comes to karting, I can can throw like seven, eight pounds off if I know there's a race coming up. And uh, lastly, and only because I can't read Stuart Neal twice, I'm going to go with blatantly asinine. Haas has a whole year of experience having no engine in their cars. Chris, who's the winner? And Uh, and why is it Stuart Neal's first comment? uh, I I think actually I'm going to go with uh, Mark. okay. Because I can very heavily relate to the COVID downforce uh, that, uh, that he's put on and he's just popped uh, two pound in the super chat you as can't well. so buy you, comment of the week you've sullied the well you can't but it was a nice segue no there's now there's doubt as to whether he bought it or not um okay <laughs> all right matt read the comment again all right the comment is i'm going to start calling my covid weight down for us <laughs> although in truth it's a total drag love it comment of the week Thank you very much uh, for joining us. A live stream. You are treated to DJ Capehead. 
Here it is. Hang on, where is it? I've lost it now. I did put it up a second ago. Here it is. DJ Caped. Oh, my goodness. Like, we thought you were a ridiculously handsome mofo with the piercing blue eyes now. But, like, that's like 25-year-old Caped there. That's, yeah, that's just about maybe, that's 20 years ago, 19 years ago. Did you have to walk around with, like, just a stick just to beat women away? No, I'm trying to eat lunch. Go away. I don't have no words. All I, the only thing I can say is whenever you say Shakir GP, yeah. it sounds like you're saying Shakira GP, and I'm fine with that. Because that oh, reminds you. You're not telling us that story. That's what you're saying. I can, I'm going to tell you any story. Listen, I need to find the other picture. because. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.